0: Welcome to another Distinct Nostalgia by MIM. More than a podcast. Brought to you in partnership with Life Rooms and Mersey Care NHS Foundation Trust. Staying well, staying home. Now on Distinct Nostalgia, a treat for all big British TV drama fans as we meet actor Jonathan Kerrigan. He played Project 2000 gay nurse Sam in the late 90s on Casualty and then, via a stint on Merseybeat, remember that, he landed another huge role as PC Rob Walker in the hit Yorkshire TV drama series Heartbeat. Two huge roles for Jonathan which have made him a very famous face in TV drama. But there's much more to his talents than playing nurses and police officers as Ashley's been finding. Enjoy!
1: Jonathan, it's lovely to talk to you. Um, now, before we talk about Heartbeat, which all our fans of Distinct have been asking us, we, we want to hear from people from Heartbeat, um, because, and of course, Heartbeat's all about nostalgia anyway, never mind remembering Heartbeat. Heartbeat itself is nostalgia. Let's talk a little bit about you. You, you, um, you know, I hate to say this, but you've been around quite a while. You've done quite a lot over many, many years. But um, you've got various strings to your bow, which people, a lot of people don't necessarily realise, do they? Because you... As well as being an actor, and I think a writer, as we've written stuff as well, you also compose music too, don't you? I do. Yeah. Tell yeah, us I mean, a bit always... about about your just your background generally and how you, what your creative life, as it were, where it all stems from.
2: Well, I guess I mean at school, I suppose that's the thing. My my older brother, he was always the the, the kind of the uh, in the school plays and um, uh, doing all the andram stuff, and so. He made me want to get into acting and, and showed me that it was something where you could get, I suppose, you know, attention, adulation. But at the same time, it could tick the boxes in all those creative areas that you that you want. Um, but along running alongside of that, I was very interested in music as well. It was always a hobby doing the music things. So I've always done it. But um, I guess when I it, it sort of transferred to to influence the acting side as well was when I did a program called Mersey Beat, um, which... Uh, it was a police series again. I did three series of that. We we shot it in and around uh, Widness um, near Liverpool. And uh, and yeah, I just said to Mal Young, who was the, uh, the the exec producer on it, I said, well, you know, can I have a go at doing the theme tune for it? And he was going, well, you can submit it with the rest of the composers, to which I did. And then it turned out that the one I did, that's the one they went with. Um, and that sort of cemented an in, I suppose, to, to be able to do it. Theme tunes aren't really my thing, <laughs> it has to be said. So um, please don't go back and, and look that up and, and judge me by it. <laughs> um, but it it, it, uh, it gave me an interest in, in in watching pictures, watching the moving picture, the image, and how music interplays with that. And of course, you can either back that whatever's going up on the scene or you can juxtapose what's going in the scene. Uh, and I just find that incredibly interesting. It adds such a texture and a layer into into film especially music's very important isn't it it's an
1: extremely important element of of of, uh, of film really and so what's your so as well as doing mersey beat then and i will end up looking you up i'm sure
2: <laughs> yeah, it's not very good
1: please <laughs> what what uh, as well as mercy what what's your main focus when it comes to music then what's the what's the things you like to do what's your passion there
2: uh i guess it's sort of i mean i do like to do soundtrack stuff so um uh, anything which kind of tell, has an image or tells a story within it. I don't do any vocals. I don't do singing. I don't do lyrics. I can't hear lyrics. <laughs> I, my my wife tells me, it's, you know, how terrible, because if ever I do try and sing anything, I always get the lyrics wrong because I can't hear them. I can only hear rhythms and h- harmonies and <laughs> melodies and uh, things. So, so it's very much soundscaping or, um, you know, orchestral, uh, things like that. Um, I, I, between the lockdowns, or in fact, it was just before the lockdown, I wrote a short film which um, we managed to shoot in between, in lockdowns. Uh, and at the moment, I'm just doing post, we're doing post-production on that and I'm I'm doing scoring the music for that. Uh, and again, that's, that's fantastic because we've got our, we've got a locked off edit. Uh, and you know that once you do the the, the grading process or the post-production processes, they just layer up um, the finished product. But music is the, probably the, that and sound design are the biggest components which can alter an edit um so that's where we're at at the moment and and it's working what i'm doing i'm happy with <laughs> and at the end of the day that's all i want i want to be proud and happy with what i'm creating fabulous sounds, sounds fantastic i mean i uh often have to commission people to do
1: uh music for some of the radio programs that we we make and i'm just always amazed how you know i'll literally just give a, a composer three words it might be you know say it's a history thing you know you know the usual passage passage of time and memory and blah, blah blah you know a few different words and they come back with things that are, are spot on you know i, I mean it's it, it, i know there's a skill involved in it all but it's just it's it's amazing and, that, and that, i suppose you you it's a challenge for you as a composer of course but just tell us a little bit about that you know i mean, I mean how do you go about the whole thing of, of of composition do you think i mean what i mean is there a, is there a You know, is there a formula to it? There isn't really, is there? It's it's about what you feel, isn't it? There
2: can be a formula, like as with writing or any art form. You can have a formula and you can follow that formula or you can use that as a starting point, a jumping point to go off on. Um, I know composers have very different uh, ways of reacting to film and and their starting point. For instance, Hans Zimmer, you know, he he often, um, Gladiator, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, um, he, he often sort of underscores what's happening. Uh, if there's if there's jeopardy happening happening on screen, then his music will suggest jeopardy. If there's romance going on, his music will suggest romance. Let's say, but then Brian Eno, um, by contrast, he he always says like for for most of the films that he's been a part of, the music was already there in the first place, and the directors have utilized that. He likens it to a scene being played out, let's say, and a stream in the background, and the stream's constantly flowing, keeps going can hear the hear the noises of the stream and every now and again something within that noise of the stream will coalesce with what's going on within the drama or the action and it will make it poignant and that's an accidental happening so uh, I kind of fall into that category I quite like the accidental happenings of of beds or scores that are going on underneath so my starting point usually is, is is going through all my different instruments going through all different sounds uh Lots and lots of different phrases. Try and pick up on a key word or a key um, suggestion of a character. Uh, am I inside his head or outside his head uh, or her head? Um, and then just see what happens. And I'm afraid I'm not I'm not able enough to say Ah! In this case, I'm going to use the um, the key of F sharp Dorian, and I'm going to make sure it uh, does it. You know, I, I'm not able to do that. So I have to. It has to be a, a, an organic process and a, quite an accidental process.
1: Yeah, so there's a lot of instinct involved in it, really. There
2: there is. You know when it works and you know when it doesn't. And you know what's not working about it often. Um, And and often, (laughs) as uh, I've got some good good friends who give me some great advice, uh, and it's the classic of less is more, you know, um, I'll layer it up, layer it up, layer it up, layer it up, and it'll work for me great as a piece of music. Put it with the visuals, let's say, and there's just too much going on. Um, Strip it back to its component parts or something which doesn't even suggest a component part and uh, and then it and it can work better. And that's the beauty that's the magic that's going on there.
1: Yeah, no brilliant brilliant. Yeah, I, I think music is exceptionally important even in something like I remember ITV um you know they they've done so many different versions of of news at 10's theme for years and years and years. Mm. And there was one but at the moment, it's just a beat. It seems like there's nothing much to it. Whereas over the years, there was one they did in the mid-2000s when they had that backdrop with the, the yellow backdrop and they used to show images of all the different people that were coming up on the, who were in the headlines kind of mm-hmm. thing. And then this lovely, um, what's the technical term? What do you call it? The melody bit, the, the middle eight, isn't it? There's a right, beautiful yeah. middle eight in the middle, which was quite a, it just, it just, you know, it's a news program for God's sake. But there was something special about it. It made you want to mm. listen to it, or want to mm. watch it. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So I think, I mean, I like theme tunes. I think theme tunes are great. I was interviewing Simon May, uh, who did the EastEnders theme tune. About, I was talking to him right. about Barbara Windsor the other day because he'd he'd done a special one for for when Peggy left. You know, Peggy's theme because they do a little theme for main characters that leave. And he was right. talking about how that how that worked and whatever, but. Um, he was bemoaning uh, when I've interviewed him in the past and several others have bemoaned the fact that sadly with... I know you're mainly doing, um, you know, um, soundtracks and things, but sadly that in terms of theme tunes, which is when you and I were growing up, were a big thing. Your theme tune was mm. a big, big thing. They're now being more and more obscured, aren't they? Because they people the, the continuity people talk over them at the end, it's not seen as, as a bigger thing, a big thing
2: anymore, which I think is a shame
1: really because you... You identified with them, didn't
2: you? You did, yeah, but I mean, it's certainly sort of, you know, the classic American box sets, which, are, you know, now we're talking about on Netflix and stuff, that these big American, highly polished shows, they still do respect the kind of the theme tune, but it's not in the same way as a, it's not an attention-grabbing theme tune. We're used to, you know, the 70s kind of things, very major chords, majory sort of upbeat sort of things, which are meant to grab you in. The Rockford Files, that was genius. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Classic. Yeah. Yeah. Um but but now you have things um, which, which don't need to draw you in, but somehow are woven into the fabric of the programme, which then the third or fourth time you come and view it, it's, it's sunk into you and it's been part of the, the programme. And that's because we can binge watch now. We don't have to wait weekly. It used to be that you had to have the big ba 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 theme tune because you only saw it once a week. Oh, I remember. It's this programme I'm watching now. But now we binge watch, uh, so we don't. it doesn't have to be so blatant. But a lot of work goes into the composition of the
1: music, and it's nice to hear it, and it annoys me when you watch Netflix. I was watching a, s- a while ago now, earlier this year. They were doing that series called... They've done a nice mini-series called Hollywood, which is all about Hollywood in the 1930s and 40s. Oh, and, right. Uh, it's really good, actually, very, very good. Um, but they they put so much um time and work into the the opening titles which were really really artistic and they do this fantastic theme and it's <laughs> And they've got the thing on Netflix. It says now skip titles, and it's like, no, we want somebody, to, you want people to experience that. You know what yeah. I mean? So yeah, there we are. We the the, the the world evolves, doesn't it? The world evolves. We have too much choice. Yeah, yeah. I suppose so. I suppose so. So so that's great, and it's really interesting. And it's great that you're doing. You you you've managed to keep yourself occupied during lockdown with the with the music composition. Mm,
2: yeah, I mean, and that's been very hard with two children as well. Of course, <laughs> so, of yes, it's not going as well as it could have done. So
1: um, let's just go back then. So what was your first um, major telly gig? Where did you start off? Where, do, where If people look through the archives, where would they find you? Where did you first appear?
2: Well, I was incredibly lucky because I, I, I was studying at uh, Breton Hall, which is affiliated to Wakefield University. So I got a degree in acting then uh and in the about the last month of of the course people were saying you know oh, we need to what we're going to do now where well, we need to get agents and stuff so i wrote off to i think six agents it was uh, in london didn't know anything about acting agencies but i presumed that if they've got offices in covent garden or leicester square or something then they must be doing well so i wrote off to six with good addresses one came back to me cam and and, and I'm i'm still with him now uh, and they're brilliant, but it was that first week I got um, a Chemical Brothers music video, which "Life Is Sweet," which you know I love the Chemical Brothers, still do. Uh, but that to me was amazing. I got two hundred pounds uh, to film for the afternoon, and I, I just thought that was it. I'm, you know, I made two hundred quid for the afternoon. Amazing uh, for a video. Uh, and then within six months, I got uh, um, I got a casualty. That was, that was my first big gig. Yeah. That was in 1996. And that one I kind of got because I was doing lots of auditions at the time. Cause when you're new, they throw you around to loads of auditions. Uh, and for some reason I thought I would, um, highlight my hair with a bottle of in this old product. Maybe it's still on the go in. and you put it in and it makes it a bit blonder and stuff, but mine didn't, mine kind of went orange. <laughs> and so I put more in to try and get it, uh, you know, more, more blonde. Uh, and that, and it wouldn't, it just kept orange, so I kept putting more in and then had the audition next day for casualty. I'm like, oh, God, I've got to go to this audition with this stupid orange hair. So I did it, and at the end of the audition, they they kind of said, well, look, you know, we really like what you did, and you can have the part, but we want you to keep the hair, but we'll do it properly at a hairdresser. <laughs> so for three years, I bleach-blonded my hair up um, every three or four weeks, and subsequently I've got a scalp like a leather football. We'll be back after a quick break. But you still loading them and heating them up with all your single shit you've been dropping. You yeah. feel me? Loading them up on. It, it only takes structure. And, and you know, just paying attention to the climate of the game. Yeah. Know what I mean? So
3: do do your homies uh got a role in your in your little you know? Yeah, yeah. We all we all artists over here, man. I'm y'all trying, yeah, I'm yeah. Trying, oh, trying, yeah, I'm trying I'm trying, yeah. I'm trying to get them on there. Yeah. We all artists, man. We go you feel me, we're gonna have this like Bro, me and my man, like
2: me and my man, Kyle, we be like, I don't know, we play, we play with this <laughs> don't shit. Right now. With this I got to lie, We play with this shit right now for, for I Don't, oh, don't lie. play with don't it. Play with it nah. Take that shit
1: soon. <laughs> yeah, I remember it. I remember you being ble- bleach blonde. Because um, <laughs> actually, when when you look back, you know, you think you, you actually question was you'd been in, you'd be in something later on. You think is that the same? Is that the same person? Of course, it, it was. Um, but I know the, the area you're talking about because I I grew up in. um well, I grew up in—I was born in Doncaster and grew up in sort of ah. South Hemsall, which is just round the corner from Wakefield, not far from Wakefield. Yeah. So I know yep. the area quite well. But you start—you—you—you you, you grew up in Lincolnshire, did you? you in Lincolnshire, I morning? did in Lincoln itself. Oh yeah. right, okay, or, a, yeah.
2: or A village just outside Lincoln. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, my, my parents are still there. I still go back. You know, it's a—it's uh, a lovely part of the country. Well, I lived in Wakefield, um, probably around the same time as you were
1: at Bretton Hall. But I used to actually yeah. go to Lincoln because I was—I was a newsreader on Links FM. Uh, just I a part-time did. one, but I didn't. I didn't drive, and I used to have to get get the train all the time. And it's a, it's such, a it's such a trek getting to Lincoln by train. Yeah, it's a nightmare. You go down to Retford, and you've got to change. Yeah, spend hours on the station waiting, and there's nothing there in Retford. And you know what Lincolnshire's like. There's no yep. there's no proper roads either. It's
2: no, a no. They have a to- they have a toll bridge to get out of Lincolnshire, but you can get in fine. Absolutely, <laughs> I know, I know. So tell us a bit about tell us a
1: bit about casualty. Then I mean, so you were. You were thrust really into one of Britain's biggest shows,
2: quite mm. young,
1: quite quickly. I mean, how did that alter things for you? And you know, I know, I know it's not a soap opera, although some people think of it as mm. to some extent. But um, just tell us a bit about that because it's a, it's an interesting program. And of course, by that point, it, it was very, very well established. It'd been on ongoing for at least what eleven years by that point.
2: It? Yeah, I think I, I think I joined in series twelve or thirteen, some something like around there. Uh, and with my within my first year, there was they had their biggest viewing figures uh, because it was a special Jude, a character called Jude. She was very very popular before I joined, and and she got stabbed in it, her character because she was leaving, uh, and it coincided with the Christmas special I think, which was a ninety minute special or something. And there's the massive motorway pileups that's happened <laughs> a few times on Casualty, I'm sure, but we got seventeen seventeen and a half million viewers then. So, like you say, going from being a student, uh, you know, eating my bowl of pasta every day and a jacket potato, to to then being on television with bright blonde hair, so slightly recognisable uh, in in the city of Bristol where we where we shot it, and it and it was a big impact on my life. I suppose it did it did change it in a, in a in a big way. I. I but I learned. I kind of learned. It was my training in television, I guess, because when you when you study at university, you do all, you know, you'll do your your Shakespeare, your Commedia dell'arte, you your, your uh, Chekhov, your Strimbo, wherever you will do all the classic stuff. But you don't do on-screen work, so you get, suddenly get thrust into a, a popular program like Casualty, which I would not seen before. Uh, I, I knew who Charlie was. Um, Charlie Fairhead. He he was in my in my first scene. My first scene was uh, as the character, Sam, applying for the, uh, doing a job interview in front of Charlie Fairhead. Uh, and the character's meant to be nervous and uh, a bit stumbly and stuff. And there was no acting required. I was obviously just <laughs> nervous and stumbling over my words. So, uh. yeah. yeah, uh,
1: that's, that's interesting. That's interesting. So, so tell us a bit about, about casualty. I, I remember going to, I know it's moved now, isn't it, from Bristol to Cardiff, to do mm. it of Cardiff. And I was in there. Um, I went to see... A friend of mine who is an actor in um in Pobble You come, which is the Welsh soap right. opera. Yeah. And uh I knew that was done there, but i for some reason I'd got in my head that that, that casualty was still done in, in 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 Bristol. And I kept seeing in the I kept seeing in the corridors, all these, all these people, all these nurses, and I'm thinking, oh, is there something really dreadful going on? I was like, uh, <laughs> all the day, all day, I was thinking, what's been going on? I kept asking people, has been something? And then in the end, I realised, yeah, casual, casualty's done there now, and Oldby City is as well, isn't it? You know,
2: yeah, right, yeah, they've moved. So what? Um, what?
1: I mean, obviously, there's a lot of effort goes into casualty trying to make it as authentic as possible, isn't there?
0: Mm, obviously, yeah. there's
1: the drama your character would have a lot of drive. There'd be a lot of focus on your character being a young character and his personality and probably things to do with the, the personal life and all the rest of yeah. it. But how do you get to grips with the medical side? How much of that do you... I mean, obviously, you follow the script, and I know all that kind of thing. But, yeah. you know, how how important is it? And how did, how, how did you find that side of things? I mean, I've been interviewing people, you know, about the very early days of Emmerdale recently, and they're talking about how they actually literally had to get there you know, the hands dirty, you know, shearing sheep and um, delivering delivering calves and all sorts of things back then. What was it like when you when you first got into, into casualty for the, the the authenticity, as it were?
2: Well, to, absolutely to their credit, they wanted it to be as authentic as possible. So every Saturday morning we had a medical training. Uh, it, it'd be all these sort of medical procedures that were coming up in that episode. It took two weeks to do an episode. So, per episode, we, we had two Saturdays to to do the training. So you'd, you would learn things and you'd learn how, you know, the, the, the real nurses and doctors and paramedics would learn it. So at one point, I, I felt confident in being able to perform an emergency needle cricothyroidotomy. Um, but what came out of it is that I, I learned how to say it, but not necessarily how to do it well. Uh, it involves getting a big pen and uh, taking out the the pen bit, and then stabbing the the big bit into somebody's throat so that they can breathe if they're if there's an emergency in their airways. So suddenly, you it's dangerous because you get this this part knowledge of things. You could do it on camera. I could make it. I could sell it on camera. Um, but suddenly, you, you think you're probably more competent than you actually are. Um, my dad was in hospital uh, during that period at some point, and I went. I remember going in to see him and the student nurse came around just to do an ECG on him, just to take a reading and the reading wouldn't come out. Um, and I couldn't help but sort of lean over and go, I, th- I think you've got your seventh point there near the aorta, a bit too low. And he moved it. I mean, that's probably not accurate, but he moved it and suddenly got a reading. I was like, wow, I must be a trained nurse. And on the way out of the hospital, I almost went into the staff door because I presumed I was staff. <laughs> so it's dangerous. That's all it is. It's dangerous. We get, yeah. To, we get a lot of knowledge but not enough and what did you make of your character
1: what i mean what were you told your character was going to be like at the beginning and did he did he sort of change and evolve did you manage to get something of you in there or what was the what was the character like
2: well i suppose he's the overriding thing for for sam Colby was uh, he was gay um and you know the the producers at the time said to me would i have a problem playing a gay character and i'm Uh, and I was complete of course not no I mean there's there's neither here nor there you know you you don't have to take that into account depends what the storylines would be Uh, uh, so I think for the duration of the time I was there I had three different boyfriends in it but it wasn't as progressive as it is now so we would we would, you know, our characters hadn't seen each other for for months or something. And then then he, he, my boyfriend had come into the hospital and I'd shake his hand. You know, <laughs> it was kind of like, I mean, I'd give him a kiss. Come on. But but they wouldn't they didn't want that because that would be a thing then. So for the character, it was um, they skirted around that issue, I think, just just for safety's sake. At that point in time, the BBC probably wasn't, weren't brave enough to take it head on but there
1: weren't there weren't many gay characters on tv at that time there were some i mean there was tony and simon in uh, in eastenders around that time they began they yeah. they started a, and i think the focus on them was to try and make them seem as just as average as possible they they didn't make yeah. a big deal about their sexuality and whatever but you were probably one of the very few on regular telly at that particular point
2: yeah yeah and I, and for that um Subsequently, I've had, you know, a, a fair amount of letters of, uh, of people who at the time were, uh, were considering coming out of the closet or, or trying to get to terms with their sexuality um, and, and have sort of thanked the programme, me indirectly, the programme for, for having that character on screen. Um, so, in that case it it did a, it did a great thing, but I would have liked to have seen it done more or uh, helped more in the end, again, to their credit, they wrote me storylines which were about relationships uh didn 't matter which what whether the was gay relationships or straight relationships or what, but it was about relationships so in the end, they represented it well i think
1: yeah, and of course you uh you know i 'm from the LGBT world, and there was plenty of friends of mine who had uh, uh, typically bleach blonde hair like you did back in the right.
2: mid-90s. That was a common right. thing.
1: So yeah. <laughs> Maybe yeah.
2: they copied you. Maybe that's what they were doing. Uh, uh, maybe Sonin just gave free cop- bottles of, <laughs> of of bleach. I possibly, don't know. possibly, possibly.
1: So, I mean, that you were on there for three years, which is, you know, quite a long time mm. on, a, on a big television series. And um, did it, how did it sort of, how did it change your life at that particular point? You were very young, you were in Bristol, another mm. new place. To you know, you'd gone from Link, you'd been Lincoln, and then Wakefield, and Bristol. You know, did it sort of? Um, I mean, did did you? Did, I mean, you would left after three years. Did you decide to leave? Did you did you want to leave? Is that is that the?
2: I did. I mean, i I'd moved from university from Wakefield to London, so I was in I was in London at that point, and then Bristol I'd never heard of, and I went there. And I suddenly fell in love with the place, and you know, career was suddenly going great. Um, had a bit of money, which is which is a rarity, you know, um, after being a student. Uh, and and really loved the work and the people. But I suppose after three series, you kind of think, what else is there? What else could I be doing? Um, and taking advice of people like uh, Derek Thompson, who played Charlie. Uh, he he was sort of saying because he's he he's been in the show since it started. And I think he's still there now. He's, you know, now he's saying this is my life. So that, you know, why, why do people sort of, um, criticize me for staying in one job all this time? If that was another industry, people have, you know, celebrate it. So, but he said, the age you are, why don't you go and see what else is out there and what else you could maybe get? And three seems to be the magic number in that respect. The first series, people get used to you. Second series, you develop your character. Third series, people get bored of you. So you go. um, and, and, and I took that as a rule, really. I did three series on Casualty. I decided to do three series on Mersey Beat and then three series on Heartbeat as well.
1: No, that's 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 interesting. And uh, and and you know, and you're I think you're remembered for for being a character in different ways for all all of those, you know, which is which is which is great. Which isn't always achieved, is it? Because some people do get. Specifically, typecast in a particular way. I don't think you've been typecast, have you? It's quite
2: good that you've not. That'd be great to think not. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. Which is which is great. So, um, so what happened to your character in Casualty? Were you killed off or written, just written out generally? <laughs> what, what happened to him?
2: I went to I went to live in the countryside with Russ Abbott, <laughs> um, <laughs> which uh, is strange but true. I no, my character was pushed off a balcony uh, in uh, in the hospital in Holby. Uh, and at the end of the series, it looked like I'd died because my head was split open, blood was seeping from it. And that was the end of the series. And then the beginning of the next series, um, uh, uh, I'd lost my way with the, the health professional because of the safety of it. Uh, with uh, So a character played by Russ Abbott, who was my ex-teacher, um, offered me a, a place in Cornwall to work on, in his business. But... But to my mind, I, I went to live with Ross Abbott. <laughs> <laughs>
1: fabulous, fabulous! And you've never thought about returns to Casualty? They couldn't bring you back at any point. Well, they
2: never asked me, <laughs> but I mean, I would do. Yeah, I mean, you know, it'd be, it'd be nice to see what Sam's up to now. Um, but, 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 I, but yeah,
1: but in Cardiff rather than Bristol.
2: Yeah, well, I love Bristol. I've got such an affinity. After after Casualty, I stayed there for another four or five years. I lived there for another four or five years because I just absolutely love Bristol. Yeah, I'm yeah. back in London now um but, but yeah, it's got a lovely I,
1: feel to it hasn't it bristol there's something there is something nice about it i agree
2: well it's it's so creative it's just everybody we were uh, mixing with were creatives in so, some way there's obviously a massive music industry there uh and yeah that's when i that's when I kind of created a um um a, a music production company myself and a couple of uh, three other guys who were part of different industries um and that's when we started doing music for t v and Uh, And film, we did a few documentaries and a few short films and full-length films. So brilliant!
1: That was where it all began. It fed into that as well.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
3: Only on Distinct Nostalgia. When I ran out of children's books, I used to read from women's own. Who knew a four-year-old would be gripped
0: by an article on cross-stitch? We're uniting the ages with Generation Games, a series of comedy and drama monologues and duologues, coming exclusively to distinct nostalgia. Stories exploring connections, friendships, and relationships between people across different age groups, beginning with Missing You, starring June Brown and Sam Barnard.
2: Mum thinks I need protecting, but I don't need protecting from love. Pity that social worker of his can't do something useful for a change. Contact the noise
3: abatement lot. Put in a complaint. I like her, I said. And then, silence. What's the problem, I asked. they will take advantage of you,
0: Mum warned. Missing You by Richard Vergette with the legendary June Brown only on Distinct Nostalgia. More than a podcast. <laughs>
3: If nobody was told what you were meant to do, if there weren't any rules, then we would be living in a totally different format. A brand
2: new podcast featuring rarely heard voices from across the UK and around the world. Bisexuality is not really understood because people have biphobic tendencies. And the second you mention bisexual, just their ears pick up. Contemporary conversations around bisexuality. Oh, well, you're still confused, right? No, I'm not confused. We are
3: questioned so much more than people when they come out as straight or gay. It's intense
1: pressure of like, am I sure? You're literally like monitoring yourself. Every episode will include a very personal story as we try to paint a real picture of bisexual Britain.
0: This is... Bisexual Brunch. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. It went head-to-head with Blue Peter for the affections of kids in the 70s.
3: It was a magazine, so you open a magazine, you have lots of different things in the magazine, and we always did four or five, and a pie is a sort of surprise, and you never know what's going to be in it.
0: Magpie was perceived as being a little bit more risque, and at its height was pulling in 7 million viewers in its 10-5 to 5 after-school slot on ITV just what was Magpie's magic.
3: Yeah, it wasn't difficult to be more hip than Blue Peter. Blue Peter was a conservative show, so there certainly was an attempt to get some of the Blue Peter audience, but it was meant to be just a bit more interesting and a bit more lively.
0: We've brought back three of the show's presenters for a special reunion on Distinct Nostalgia. We were more like the kids, you know, because we were younger, but there was also a feeling of us being a bit more radical, just a bit more in tune with the people that, you know, watched us. We had seven million people watching twice a week. That's Douglas Ray, Mick Robertson, and Susan Stranks. Back soon for a special magpie reunion. Only on Distinct Nostalgia. More than a podcast. Go to distinctnostalgia.com or search wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Distinct nostalgia includes some special interviews remembering nearly 50 years of Emmerdale. I've been speaking to Ian Sharrock, who played the original Emmerdale heartthrob, Jackie Merrick. I can remember walking down a street in Harrogate
3: and somebody across the road shouted out, Hey, Jackie! And it was the first time anyone had ever said that. Didn't look around at first because I didn't sort of respond to
1: it. And then eventually I realised what was going on and I'm thinking,
2: Oh! I'm famous!
1: (laughs) We're right back to the beginning in 1972 with Freddie Pine, who played Matt.
3: Donald Bavistock said to Kevin, I wanted to write a series about a farm. And he said, well, I don't know anything about a farm. So they said to him, we'll come up to Yorkshire and live for two or three weeks and find out. It did come off the shelf and it did start. And Peggy said, my name, Matt was the first word of the series. Because she said, Matt, do you know all those new people over at Pickersgills or something? That was Arthur Pentelow and his daughter, Mr Wilkes. Because the daughter came riding over on a horse and she said, do you know those people? So I've always been quite proud that Matt was the very first word of the whole bloody series. (laughs) Still going 50 years later or something.
1: And you can't have Matt without Dolly. Jean Rogers has been reminiscing about her time in the Dales as well.
3: It was lovely, was toke. And he said to me after I'd been in the show about four or five weeks, he said, just to let you know, he said, Sheila approves of you. (laughs) And I said, oh, really? Because I didn't know, oh, yes, he said, she was watching you. But but Sheila was always very professional. We felt as though we were mother and daughter in a way.
1: We've some 90s fun with Dina Payne, who played Viv Windsor for 18 years.
3: I'll only wear trousers if I'm going to Scarborough for the day. But when I'm working in the post office... Or, when I'm working in the cafe, nice short skirts, padded shoulders, jackets, big earrings, you know, the lot. So
1: you you had some real input then into her character.
3: Like I said, I wasn't really given any kind of uh, direction for the character. So I just thought, well, OK, don't give me any, I'll make it up.
1: (laughs) And there's Alison Spiro, who was Sarah Sugden, and Roberta Carr, who played Jan Glover. Trawl through our feed now to find hours of soap history. Remembering Emmerdale on Distinct Nostalgia. More than a podcast.
3: Are you finding that radio stations aren't quite in tune with you anymore? Try Boom Radio today. You can hear it in London and the centres of Glasgow and Manchester on DAB. Or you can find us online on your phone, laptop or smart speaker. Boom Radio. Music and conversation for our
1: generation.
3: Boom Radio.
1: So heartbeat, then. Um, this is what all our fans want to hear. Hear about you. You came into heartbeat after. I mean, the program had been going, going for quite a long time. By the time you appeared in it, and of course, there'd been Nick Berry and a series of main police. Police. What they what, what was the main role? What was the main role of the the, the copper? Was he? Uh, uh, is a
2: yeah. What would you call it? He's a policeman. The the the, the village constable. Yeah, I basically. Yeah. Basically. So yeah. it's been
1: on going for a long time, and and you know you look back at it now, and I know the show repeats. I mean, there's endless, endless, endless episodes of it. I mean, it seems to go yeah. on forever, doesn't it? It seems yeah. that it's longer than the sixties that it was portraying in a way. <laughs> it certainly is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sixties can only be a decade. So. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so what? Tell us a bit about that. I mean, yeah. I mean, you're right. You said at the beginning, you know, you played several, you know, police. Uh, and and let's face it you know on british television there is so there's a bit of a plethora of either um medical or police series hasn't that over many many years yeah. we, do you did you relish doing this or were you, did you think actually I'd like to play something different or were you, do, you know where, do you know where I'm coming from what i mean is yeah, you know yeah. it's that kind of thing it's like the, the, it's even even now you watch watch ITV and the, you know they don't do very well don't do many comedies anymore for example, which I, mm. I I find annoying but you watch ITV and most of the dramas let's face it are often crime procedural sort of dramas yeah. I mean yeah was there was there any reluctance about going into casualty
2: to be honest yeah there was a, there was a huge uh, reticence towards it really because I'd just, I just I'd done three years playing a policeman in Merseybeat um, and then. It was only a few years interim period when then I was offered Heartbeat for, um, to play a policeman yet again. So to try and reconcile what was, it, you know, what was in it for me at that point, it was a difficult decision, really. Um, uh, I mean, the biggest difference, really, I mean, Heartbeat is called Heartbeat because you've got the heart of the series Doctor, um, and then the beat of the policeman. So there's the heartbeat. It's the it's a combining of the medical world and the uh, and the police world. And I thought, well, you know, I've played casual, I've done casualty, I have done the medical world, I've done a Mersey beat, the police world, and now let's see what happens when you combine the two. Um and set it in the sixties. I hadn't done a period piece. Um nice neck of the woods. So I thought, what's the worst that could happen? Let's have a let's have a go at that.
1: But very different to Mersey Beat in the sense the Mersey beat was quite gritty. I mean Heartbeat yeah. could have its gritty moments but Merseybeat was you
2: know of of the you know contemporary gritty two stuff very wasn't. different beasts yeah very very much so but also like you say at the time at that uh, I, can't, I can't remember what year it was 2004 yeah I started Heartbeat at that time TV was very much about either police or medical things the the there wasn't the variety there wasn't all the channels there wasn't Netflix so you were limited in in that respect but they seem to uh, try and do different um, iterations of how where, how you'd see a policeman and how they would be involved in in Merseybeat as you say was more uh, was more gritty and we we had very much the episodic kind of um, arc to the to the story and I think something about Heartbeat is it's just there's always this long serial arc which runs through it and it's and it's about the the policeman and the, and the doctor and all the other characters and how they progress through it. And there's just something nice and and warming about this Sunday night feel to heartbeat. How can you create the drama while still retaining within these these nice, cozy, warm walls? You know, um, that was interesting to me. Uh, and then when I got there, the people again. I had my mentor, Derek Folds, like like uh, Derek Thompson. You know, people like that, and Peter Benson. God rest both of them. Um, not with us anymore, but. Um, you know they 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 were just they were just great and very welcoming. Uh, and you just have the freedom to play. I think that's the thing. They were so confident in this being a long running series, which works and has its fan base, that they could just play a bit really. Um, and you could you were trusted to take hold of your own character, uh, do your own stunts, which was great. Uh, there's quite a lot of that involved. Um, and you were doing and, it in beautiful countryside as well. And am doing it in beautiful countryside. Freezing cold countryside, it's got to be said. I always had a pair of thermals on. <laughs> um, and when I started it, I didn't ride a motorbike. So I had to have these strapping props guys push me into shot without <laughs> seeing them and cut before you saw their hands on the back of the motorbike uh, for about three or four months. I didn't feel very heroic at that point. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine.
1: Um, yeah, Derek Fold sadly died, was it like last last year, wasn't it? Just before the coronavirus kicked in.
2: Yeah, um, yeah.
1: Very sad. A, a friend of mine knew him very well, and I was we were due to do some interviews with him, actually, and do a bit of work with right. him. Yeah, really, really sad, really sad. He um, was just so dry
2: and so, so adonic, you know, just a lovely wit about him.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. It's been great working with him. Were you there when uh, were, were people like... Um, Bill Maynard still around when you were there, or he no
2: bill had gone a few years before me, yeah uh, before I started Gwen Taylor was sort Gwen of that Taylor. role took yeah. took that uh, role
1: and and uh who was the other person um Jeffrey Hughes of course was he was there Jeffrey
2: was oh, of course yes Jeffrey was there, yeah yeah, but he for about I think the first two series I was there, I think I did two series with him yeah so to tell us a little bit about
1: the the, the, the 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 your character in that and the storylines that you got. I mean, it was set in the sixties. You say you'd not done a period piece before. Was uh, you know, just tell tell us a bit about the stories and how you had to adapt to the sort of the period side of things. Was anything interesting about that?
2: Uh, well, I just remembered I did do a period piece before. That. I did a Catherine Cookson. I forgot about that, but <laughs> just just to put the, yeah, side point. I just remembered that. Um, uh, the period, not so much. I mean. It was one of those things again, where you would uh, like playing um, Sam in in Casualty and addressing homosexuality. In this one, we were constantly aware that we had a very white uh, cast, and that there, there, there weren't there wasn't any references to uh, to race or color because we knew that it was picking a thread. If you mentioned that, then you know if you're going to be accurate to the period, it wouldn't have been very savoury. So. Things like that, you had to try and get used to saying, "Well, why wouldn't we do this? Why wouldn't we do that?" Well, it's because at the p- the period of time, you wouldn't really. It's not really Sunday night viewing. <laughs> My character, his his background, uh, he came from a a family of criminals, which I'm not sure we ever fully explored within the series. It was hinted at and mentioned a few times, but he he was there to try and prove his his family name or to to try and uh, find some respect. Uh, for the family name again so he was if anything maybe um a little bit by the rules i guess but every now and again could push that um uh, yeah he he found ways he, he had connections within the underworld <laughs> now and again to be able to to solve crime
1: yeah that's interesting because of course around the same time as you were doing that i think they brought out um of course uh I mean, this is looking at a different decade, oh, the but they royal. brought out "Life on Mars" didn't oh, right. on, yes. on the BBC, which was very much about the, the the way in which dodgy dealings were going on in the and the police in the seventies, if you remember. Yeah, right, the right, corruption, which is, yeah. which is quite quite interesting. And I'm sure some of that would have gone on in the in the sixties. But but Heartbeat is very, you know, I mean, we we think of it as gentle, but actually it does it did tackle some pretty serious things as well, didn't it? As a as a, as a series,
2: it did. Yeah, I mean, you know, it didn't shy away from. Uh, certain aspects. I mean, I can remember my my first wife in the series, uh, uh, Doctor Helen Trent, played by Sophie Ward, um, who was brilliant. I loved her. Um, she 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 was blown up in in a um, a terrorist attack of of my of our house. You know, um, I say terrorist, but you know that it was very targeted. But this isn't sort of a fluffy Sunday night telly stuff. Uh, and the way we shot it as well was full on um, full on explosives. Uh, I remember saying that I wanted to be part of it and, and run towards the the to the building just before it blew up. And the stunt coordinator, who had done loads of stunts with him, was like, it's a bit dangerous, but if you want to do it, you can do it. And we went for it, and suddenly the, the whole the building blew up, and the front door Blew into various chunks, but I saw a, a sort of a pencil-sized piece of sharp wood fly right past my eye <laughs> and just miss me. And thought maybe I don't want to do the next explosion. Maybe I'll yeah leave that to the stuntman.
1: <laughs> and the hours on that must have been crazy because I would imagine that you're out and about in the you know in the countryside quite a lot. um You know you've got to there will be lots of challenges with the weather and. All the rest of it. And, and obviously, you know, you, you've got to make sure everything's precise in terms of the authenticity, of the cars, the everything has to look right and all the rest of it. And, you know, was it, was it, I mean, you were saying that the time that you spent on casualty, what was it, how did that compare? Was it something, and of course you'd be away from home as well, wouldn't you? You'd be up in Yorkshire for many, many weeks and... You know,
2: it was it was much more time consuming. You know, it, or it, it completely took over your life, really. Because with casualty, yes, it shot in Bristol, but you're mainly in studios, and then you know you had a life in Bristol, uh, and and so they worked side by side. But with with heartbeat, I was living in London and Bristol at the time, or um, well, my girlfriend now my wife was in London. I was living in Bristol and I was working in York North Yorkshire. So each week I was driving over 700 miles uh for work and then when you're there there's no central location. You know we had the studios in Leeds. We had our exteriors in Gotland and also in Masham which is a 70 mile radius of location so you're constantly on the move not really feeling settled. Uh and there's only a there's only two hotels or two bed and breakfasts in Gotland where we'd film. So you know that that was all there was there. And, and, it's, not and easy wonder- to, it's not easy to suddenly come back to Leeds, is it? It's miles away. No, well, you couldn't. No, only when we were filming in studios there, um, and that was, yeah. So it just it just meant you know you were you were constantly out of a bag, and you always have you know your early half five six o'clock calls and stuff, and you're filming all day, and and it's freezing cold. So it it it, it yeah, it wasn't it wasn't easy going. But at the same time, we were incredibly lucky. You know that was. Um,
1: and when you, were, when you were on it, it was, it was still doing very well. It was very popular. And um, I think one of, the other, one of the main elements of Heartbeat is obviously the nostalgia. There's the music going through it, running through it. And we've already talked about how music's important. And I think my dad used to watch it mainly because of that, you know, remembering what it was like when he was, he was in the army in the 60s. But remembering, you know, the 1960s and the music and he loved all that. But there was also an element always throughout it of comedy, wasn't there? There was little bits of comedy that would come yeah. through. Did you enjoy that?
2: Yes, uh, yes, I did, because that, that that kind of always got given to Gwen and, uh, and Jeffrey because they were the comedy turn, I suppose, for it. So it was given to those. So whenever we were allowed to have a bit of comedy, that that was great. So I did, yeah, me and uh, Mark Jordan, who played Bellamy, we were always, we were always corpsing, um, you know, just laughing on set. We couldn't help it. If we had a scene together, he's just got such the twinkliest of eyes, um, that i just have to look at him and I'd go. I'd just be laughing. Uh, he'd get away with it. Nobody would think he, he did anything wrong, but he'd just make me corpse all the time. So when we could actually utilise that and do it on screen, that was the best. And when me and Mark did it, it was even better, I feel.
1: Now, you often get talked about, don't you? Let's face it, you know, casualty, Mersey beat, um, heartbeat. Um as a heartthrob, don't you? You're often <laughs> talked about as this heartthrob and relationships are always a focus often of your storylines and you know that yeah you know, how do you
2: how do you feel about that and do you think of yourself as a heartthrob <laughs> no it's utter nonsense isn't it um, <laughs> absolutely not no no and look i'm like we said earlier i'm you know i'm pushing 50 now nearly 48 uh so thank you you're looking <laughs> good you're looking gone. good
1: for it though you're looking
2: good for Th- it. <laughs> thank you i've got excellent lighting here and the makeup's working obviously <laughs> looking good yourself uh but but yeah, now now they. But that's the thing when when it, yeah when, when I'm um, appear in magazines or anything now they don't sort of prefix it with heartthrob. I think they just prefix it with like aging, aging actor or something like that. So uh, I shouldn't have knocked it when it was there. It was kind of nice uh, having that um, when it was there. But I don't think you realize it at that point, do you? It's like when I was in my twenties,
1: you know, you know, just enjoying myself and all of it. You don't, and I was, you know, I, I was most of the time I was quite a good-looking lad and all the rest of it. But you don't think of it at that time, do you? It doesn't actually hit you until later on. You look back at pictures and you think, oh, actually, I wasn't. Oh, I didn't look that bad,
2: really. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, I just wish I'd embraced that. That was nice, <laughs> yeah. Um. I mean, I, I suppose I always got... It slightly annoyed me that I was... That, that maybe it slightly annoyed me that if I was uh, called that in an article or something like that, it seemed to undermine everything else about me, it felt. Uh, Or if I was playing that on screen, it was kind of like, well, you know, can you do pretty acting? And I'm like, well, I'm not sure what that is. (laughs) So I can't... I did a series called uh, Reach for the Moon, I think it was. Um, And in that, they were trying to sort of do the... You know, try try trying for me to be a heartthrobby type in it. Um, And I didn't know what that was. I didn't know how to do that because that's a smouldering sort of thing and that's not me. So... I found that very, very difficult. But now looking back, I wish I'd just gone. Oh, just just try and do the pretty acting. <laughs> That'll do it. <laughs> no, it must get a bit annoying sometimes. What, uh, what 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 feedback
1: did you get? What kind of what kind of fan base does Jonathan Kerrigan got? What kind of what if you would describe your fans? What are they like?
2: Gosh, I mean, it's, it's a it's a it's a it's a mix. It absolutely is a mix. You know, Heart, Heartbeat brought um, a, a certain fan base over a certain age, let's say uh and casualty brought me uh, uh quite a bit of male attention um which was great so i suppose i've got the, a, a mix a very eclectic i bet you there. had a lot of old ladies liking you a L- lot of old ladies yep, yeah. yep, yeah. which is which is very nice yeah <laughs> my mum, my mum is now one of those old ladies <laughs> but she's got this strange thing of mentioning people who look exactly like me she goes oh have you seen that person on dancing on ice or something like that he looks exactly like you and I look at it, look at whoever it is, and I'm like, that that is not. I'm nothing like that. I don't know who she thinks she who uh, who she thinks I am. But she always says that. You know what? If I if I saw you in a crowd, I probably couldn't pick you out. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> now, mood. as well as
1: doing Heartbeat and uh, Merseybeat, you also managed to do. Uh, you had a little role, didn't you, in a, an American crime series? That's right, isn't it? Didn't you go and do? Um, N- oh, NCIS, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. Yeah no I did yeah I would, uh, yeah after after Harvey, we um spent quite a bit of time in the states doing pilot season uh there myself and my wife and she she's an actress and she she was doing really well out there um did quite a few series uh and I fortunately I managed to get bite off a few a few things so N- NCIS I think was the I suppose the uh, the most known one But I played American about five times now it seems um and I feel Again, that's it's just lo- such a lovely um, um, angle to take. It's just you've got a, a character instantly created there by having a different accent, a strong yeah, accent, course, yeah. and the American accent is just such a, a great one to to use. Uh, so I did NCIS, yeah, but w- when I went on there, I was very nervous. I was very nervous. We were shooting just outside of LA, uh, and their set really wasn't that much different from Casualty. Uh, really, we was just in a, we were in a warehouse or a soundstage. But it was on steroids, so theirs was ten times bigger than ours was. We had we had small cranes for the cameras, you know, the dollies and stuff for the for the cameras. But there they were huge, massive cranes for nearly every shot. We could afford it for a few shots. They could afford it for every shot. Um but it was a great experience, yeah. Yeah, I was just
1: gonna say, you know, um quite a lot of actors go over, don't they, and do do a bit of American telly. And I mean you've come back. I know I interviewed um uh, jack oh, Davenport, i interviewed he's a great guy he's he's obviously settled there and carried on there and his wife's mm. an, an actor as well isn't she mm. um and uh but you've chosen to come to come back was there i mean did, were there elements of how different basically is what i'm trying to say mm. is that is the, the 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 processes and the the climate for actors particularly if you're british in america compared to compared to here
2: yeah well back in 2007 2008 when I first went out uh, there it was it was a very different climate than it is now Um, you know it was pre-Trump for a start so they were more than happy to hire uh, British and Australian actors particularly for things we never moved out there for any period of time you know we'd go for January February which is pilot season time and we always considered getting the green card which means you can go there and live and and then try and work there, but as it happened, you know, my wife got this nice job called Terra Nova, a Steven Spielberg job, but it was shot in Australia, so she was there for a year and a half. So we weren't in America at the time, and then straight after that, she had something which was shot in Canada, and then something else was shot in somewhere else. So, um, so we didn't really get to have that full living in LA experience until she actually did a a series there when we were there for about a year but the whole process is completely different there you know here we're very used to being self-deprecating going into an audition and just sort of saying well I don't know I don't know why you've asked me to do Northern because I'm I can't do that you know and you're just self-deprecating all the time in in America they seem to not understand that they seem to think why aren't you promoting yourself why aren't you saying I do the best northern accent there is you know you want to hire me and it's trying to switch your head around into that self-promotion which I'm terrible at and lots of British actors are Uh, and Jack Davenport with I went out with him when I was there as well he was sort of saying similar but he was saying because I've got such a big loud voice (laughs) uh, and I'm so tall Americans just listen because I'm loud um and you have to make yourself heard there i just don't i don't like that approach to there
1: to is there yourself. is still this element though of they love the accent the british accent don't they they've got they're absorbed by that to an extent they sort of the, the certain things that i suppose that brits can do no wrong in certain areas can they because of that you know having that sort of that accent yeah. and that sort of yeah, do you know what i mean it's sort of they, yeah, they, definitely, they love it yeah, don't
2: and, they? yeah and they like a bit of start, uh, typecasting as well for the, the the british being the the villain and things, but it's just got much harder now with with Trump, although he's on his way out. But uh, when Trump came in, suddenly, you know, it was that that whole uh, use American for all industry. You know, um, that was his thing, wasn't it? So and then that filtered down into the entertainment industry as well. So suddenly, trying to get green cards and and visas for working there just became really hard, uh, really difficult. Know lots of uh, friends who just just couldn't get work visas as well to to even be there we we were going to do the green card and then we were advised not to do it during t- trump's um reign because you won't get it so it was made much more difficult
1: looking just briefly at a couple of other things you've done uh, quite quirky things really you, you're in that um thing called the best possible taste about um kenny mm. everett yeah and uh, that must be interesting to do and you're also in the in, in diana as well the film diana Yes. Um, tell us a little yeah. bit
2: about those because they're a little bit different, weren't they? A bit sort of quirky. Well, that's what I decided to when I decided to come out of heartbeat. I wanted to. I w- I'd become a serial serialist where I had I'd, I'd done my three series on Casualty three series, maybe three series, the three series, and I just wanted to do these things which had a beginning, middle, and an end for my character. So I knew what I was getting into, uh, and so we just started looking at uh, one-offs and two-parters, that kind of thing. But Best Possible to Taste, both of those, both of those projects, you know, and it only had a small part in them, um, but they were just great to dip in and out of. And of course, Diana, um, all my stuff was with Naomi Watts, who is this brilliant Australian actress who was playing Diana. And we got to, we filmed in um, Croatia and um, I want to say Botswana, but it wasn't, but somewhere in Africa and I can't remember <laughs> offhand. Um so for for that for that experience that so was incredible and and she was great she was n- n- not unlike any other actor you work with you know just because she's this big hollywood superstar doesn't mean she you know she she still just wanted to play the scene uh discuss the lines and because i knew english accents she kept kept asking me about her accents and how would you say this or how would diana say this so so that was a great experience in in that respect um similarly I I did a film with um, Hilary Swank uh, soon after that as well. again, a small small part We shot in Berlin. Um, and likewise she was just she was just great. she was you know they're both Oscar winners, but they just want to act the scene.:
1: And going full circle um, in terms of you were saying Merseybeat, Beat," and you did some of the music Mersey Beat, you also did this um, film which was all about um, the Iraq war as well, and you did some music for that, didn't you? Is that right? The one set in, in in Basra. Um, oh my gosh! No, nope. Richard Jobson film. I was reading about.
2: No. Oh no. my gosh! Yes. <laughs> See? Yeah, you've forgotten <laughs> about it. <laughs> forgotten what I've done. <laughs> yes, Insomnia. And no, wasn't. No, what was it called? The Somnambulists. That's right. Yes, the Somnambulists. Yeah. Well, that was that was very interesting. Yeah, I forgot about that. Um, Richard Jobson. Yeah, he he sort of came up with it, but it was a verbatim piece from interviewing. Uh, soldiers from a uh, Basra war uh, and their experiences within it. So it was a series of I think fifteen monologues, all taken verbatim pieces. Uh, and I I was um, a sergeant major, I believe, uh, and his uh, his angle with his with his unit was to introduce playing a song. Um, each of the each of the soldiers got to play a song each morning to give them motivation and for morale and everybody could choose one and finally on the 15th day he chose uh a Greki piece um to, to to play and this classical piece of music and the 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 soldiers just had all started crying so the most beautiful thing they'd never heard anything so um so wonderful so it was very poignant and it, it showed suddenly his paternal instincts for his for his unit but um yeah, I forgot about that. That was good. That was good. That. and yeah, so I did the music. <laughs> I did some of the music in there.
1: Brilliant, brilliant. I could see you being. I could see you taking to that kind. That kind of, that, that kind of uh, soldier
2: role. You, so it's one yeah. you've not done more of those, really. I can. Imagine yeah, I quite, some, I quite fancy doing a yes, yeah, so some sort of Second World War. Yeah, first uh, or First World War even. I can or imagine, First World yeah, War. Yeah, I maybe. could mean
1: you. Yeah, I can imagine you being in something like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, we'll get uh, on to it. We did a. Um, we did a. Um, uh, a thing about a radio piece. It's only for two fifteen minutes. It's called "The Diary of a Modern Day War Artist." Um, a friend of mine, Xavier Pick, who's a um, he, he's an artist, and he basically managed to get in into the um, the British Army in the latter days of being in Iraq, kind of thing. Mm. And it was all about how they were trying to help the communities get get back to normal and things like that. Right. And they were coming across unexploded bombs and all sorts of different things. And he'd, he'd recorded the whole thing and done a little diary. It was, it was fa- really, really fascinating. But it's an area, isn't it, that we we, we were so involved in all that, yes, you know, what, 10, 15 years ago, and the media seems to have completely forgotten about it. We don't hear anything at all now about what's happening in uh, in, in Basra. Yeah,
2: as if it's all sort of fine. We're all, all good with it again. Now, that's the... I mean... That's the problem with the news outlet in general, really, isn't it? It's just we we focus on whatever they focus on, um, and we think that's the most important thing that's going on at the moment. Obviously, the pandemic is the most important thing, I guess, at the moment, and Brexit, <laughs> and all the other problems.
1: So, just just going back to heartbeat, then a couple of questions, final questions. So, going back to heartbeat, just for the heartbeat fans, what what do you what did you when you think back to it? What did you love about it most? And what do you think you got out of it? What's What did it do for you in terms of your your acting career, do you think, being in Heartbeat?
2: Mm, it's a tricky one. You never know, do you? You never know whether, if you take a job or if you don't take a job, how it has the knock-on effect. But a friend always said to me, never take a job because of what it might lead to. Do the job for the job's sake. And in that respect... Um, it was all the bits that surprised me, which I take from it, the, the, that part of the country, the North Yorkshire Moors, um, and the spirit of the crew who had been there for 17 years and just knew inside out their job. And you forget, we all we all forgot that we um, were doing a programme that was actually going to be screened <laughs> on television. We were just going to work, having a good time, having a laugh, um, trying to do the best we can, and then... Forgetting that it was actually being broadcast, uh, you just do, and I think just that feeling of camaraderie and and being part of um, a non ego based um, company, uh, that that's the thing that I take from it most really.
1: And um, you're talking about your mum. Which of all the shows that you've been in does she like? What which one would she boast about, about her son being in more than anything? <laughs>
2: Yeah, that 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 be heartbeat then. <laughs> she she still yeah. She'll she'll let me know. She'll always sort of text me. Go, they're playing your heartbeats again on ITV three. Yeah, we got them. So we re, we're recording them. So well, you've recorded them about seven times now, and I've given you, I've bought you the box sets. You know, it's kind. Of, you don't need to record them again. <laughs> I know, but you know, it's different this time.
1: <laughs> Brilliant. So and, and what's next for Jonathan? I mean, you you say you know you're forty eight like me, hurtling the way hurtling to fifty, but a lot more a lot of life uh, left in you, I'm sure. What kind of things would you like to do? You've not done a great deal of great... I mean, you mentioned a bit of comedy in Heartbeat, but would
2: you like Mm. to do some comedy? I'd love to do some comedy. Yeah, I mean, that's when I I first started... Well, when I was at drama school or, you know, Bretton Hall and stuff that's the sort of thing I did. You know, um, I never do drama, I always do comedy, but um, but nobody's employed me for that. So I'm just not funny enough. That's <laughs> what it is. Uh, so I'd like to do some more of that. That'd be great. The short film that I wrote that was mentioned earlier that we filmed is a dark comedy. So I get to stretch those, uh, those muscles a little bit in there. And if it comes out well, I'll let it be seen. And if it doesn't come out very well, I won't let it be seen. Um, I did a, in between lockdowns, I did a, uh, the new series of The Syndicate, um, series four, I think it was. I'd worked with Kay Meller before on In The Club. I uh, did a few series of that. And so she just got me in to play this role in The Syndicate. So that's coming out next year. It's always nice when something's coming out. Uh, you, you can sort of sit back on your heels and go, no, 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 I'm still in the industry. I'm still, I'm still doing it. That's great. Um, but all actors think it's their last job. So I'm hoping that's not my last job.
1: Of course, I mean, that's the thing about acting, isn't it? Really, mm. you're very creative yourself, you, the music and you know, all that kind of thing. Would you like to be, and you've done the film, your own film kind of thing, would you like to have more of that? Would you like to be more in control of something from start to finish? You know, is that yes. the, the way you'd like to go, or, or are you happy to carry on doing, you know, different things from different people? You know, do you know where I'm coming from? You know, are yeah, you, absolutely. would you like to take you, more control, is what I'm
2: trying to say. Uh absolutely want more control. You know, you you kind of learn uh, over the years all the different disciplines of how to make a programme or a film uh, from different angles. So in the beginning, I, I wouldn't have been able to do that, but now I feel like I've got some tools to be able to do the whole process from start to finish. So with this short film, it was uh, myself and uh, Jason Merrills, who was actually the receptionist in Casualty way back when I met him on there. We've been friends ever since. Um, he's co-directed it with Jamie Glover, um, actor Julian Glover's son, uh, who's been a friend since my wife appeared at the RSC with him. So there's the three of us, and and this short film is to try and springboard some sort of production company to to do more projects. We've written other projects. I've written a pilot, and uh, Jason's written a novel that we're serializing and things. So, like your good self, trying to take hold and create content for ourselves. Um and yes, that's definitely the the angle that we're trying to take now. It's it it, it amazes me, you know, that we spent all these years being the cosseted actor who comes in and you know takes all the glory, um, and then to be on the other side of it, being the we are all producers on it. We're all, um, you know, we had a a crew. Of twenty five for this short film, which is all set in a doorway. It's kind of <laughs> everybody at lockdown. We're all desperate to work again. That we had this amazing DOP we could never afford, but because everybody was in lockdown and, and desperate to do something creative, we got this fantastic crew and uh, Pro Lights gave us ten thousand pounds of the lights. Um, Panavision gave us ten thousand pounds of the camera equipment. So it, it's yeah, very much whetted our appetite to, to create more content.
1: No, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Good luck with it. Um you know, it is difficult. I mean, running a, I've been running a production company for quite a while, and you know, it's. I mean, mainly radio. We do a little bit of TV, but mainly radio, and it's so competitive at times. And you know, trying to convince commissioning editors, it's really hard sometimes. You know, just trying to. Sometimes it takes ages to just get an idea off the ground. You know, ideas the ideas we've. It's the worst
2: those. time to do it as well, isn't it? Really now to to start.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely, but. But, yeah, you, yeah, absolutely. You're going to have to be very why creative. Why let that stop you? Very creative.
2: Yeah. <laughs> With... yeah, why let that stop you, you know? <laughs> yeah,
1: No. absolutely. Jonathan, it's been absolutely lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed.
2: Thank you, Ashley.
3: Distinct drama, fresh and original. Mr Fenn, I assure you that I have not come here to murder you, however tempted I may be. A terse 40-minute drama set in a US correctional facility.
0: Oh, I see you wish to be sent to the electric chair? Yeah. Oh, oh
3: no, 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 Mr. Fenton. That would not do at all. Starring the award-winning Joe Sims. In short, Mr. Fenton, you are what may be regarded as disposable humanity. Don't you dare think that I started all of this out of political ambitions. Yes, sir. Yes, Mr. Daniels, I do think that. And to show you that there is such a thing as redemption... To show you that you are educable and have potential. Show me? Show me, Mr. Daniels? I think you are done. show me my potential. As we forgive them. Available now. To place yourself in the centre of a dream doesn't make it a bad one. And this dream, my dream, in whatever depths of despair it may have been born, has become the start of something real. Listen at distinctnostalgia.com or search for Distinct Drama wherever you get your podcasts. Distinct nostalgia is home to some fascinating conversations with the names behind some iconic films of the 20th century. And we've a special treasure trove of interviews and reunions around great British film. There's Morris.
0: And the phone went, and it was James Ivory on the phone. He went, he went well, it's it's, J- it's Jim here, and I just wanted to tell you uh, in person that you're it, you're Morris. That's exactly what he said, you're it, you're Morris. And I went, bless you. <laughs> And then we chatted for a few minutes and and then uh, my mother and I did a little jig around the kitchen. When you've spent, say, three months doing a period piece and then you move back to doing a modern piece, you haven't got that framework of class and manners to hang anything onto. It becomes about something much subtler and much more interesting, I think.
3: And my beautiful laundrette.
0: I think actually working on it and sticking two fingers up to what was going on around us in real life was such an electrifying thing. And I think that was felt by all the crew, the cast, everybody. We felt as though we were actually fighting back against the system in our own little way.
3: Distinct Nostalgia. Celebrating great British movies. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or browse our existing programmes at distinctnostalgia.com.
0: Distinct Nostalgia is brought to you in partnership with Life Rooms and Mersey Care NHS Foundation Trust. We've lots of activities for you to do at home at liferooms.org. Staying well, staying home. Distinct Nostalgia is produced by MIM and if you like what we do then please consider supporting us on Patreon. Every penny helps us to make even more amazing content just for you. Go to distinctnostalgia.com and click on the donate button. Thank you.